We become a race of peeping Toms. Something happened. Something was happening. I had no idea. Where is her treacherous husband now? But in a place where she can visit, if she wished, mine. It's with the ancestors. I'm yeah, sorry, drinking, Luann. How can you hold cake and not eat it? Oh, shit, you guys got coke here. Oh, my God, of course. I mean, I know to you I'm just your old fat Aunt Maddie Faye. I'm more than that, sweetheart. These are godless times, Mrs. Snell. You're all fucking boring. With your piddling grievances over nothing, you're all fucking boring. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov, and if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go home and have a heart attack. And my name is Colin Drucker, and we reserved a car. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know where that would quote that is. Refresh my memory, please. That is when they arrive at the... um, Jackrabbit Slims, and they are Ooh, at the front, yes. little front Mater D, and yep. looking up the reservation. Uh, I before we recorded, I rewatched the Uma segment of the movie just to kind of you know refresh the cockles of my heart and you know the corners yeah. of my mind. And oh, it was like oh my god, there's so much you get on a second watch. Oh, sure, she's only 24 when she filmed this. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. That's yeah, she looks awesome. She is. She's everything. She's everything I want to yeah. be. She and that's <laughs> and that is why this month is Novumaber. Uh, that's right. Also known as Terence November, because we are continuing a love letter to Mademoiselle Thurman uh, in her Oscar-nominated role for Best Supporting Actress in 1994's Pulp Fiction. What a ride! I mean, I had not seen this since. Keon and I watched it probably about six years ago. What is what is your familiarity with this? Where where do you lie? All I really knew about this movie was the poster, and at some point in my childhood, I saw a portion of the gimp scene out of context. Whoa! And yeah, I mean that's talk yeah. about out of context. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of always knew that was floating around. Otherwise, I mean, you know, I knew about the dancing and the fingers and whatnot, but I didn't know anything about this movie. And I kind of never expected to. I thought this was going to be one of those movies that I was like, ah, yeah, everybody likes it. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna treat it like the Da Vinci Code and just keep my arms crossed. <laughs> yes, yes. It definitely it, like. You know, coming from Kill Bill, too, because Kill Bill was, what, 10 years later? Was it? Yeah, yeah, because Kill Bill Volume 1 was 2003. Oh, that's crazy. And it's interesting because I don't really know. I I don't know all of Tarantino's filmography and, like, what came first. But obviously this came first before Kill Bill. And it's certainly, like, the style and the aesthetic is there, too. I kind of missed a little bit of that Kill Bill aesthetic. But, like, for obvious reasons, this is just a totally different vibe, too. And more men to be honest but like i and i mean i love seeing john travolta again samuel l jackson should have won the oscar for this i'm gonna say it now i know martin landau won for ed wood i've never seen it sorry martin maybe it was like a career oscar but he's fucking great in this and i feel like this should have been his his time 
he is he is so good in this and you know i knew that he was nominated and and it really is you know that whole idea of when did they win it really is that last scene in the diner where Mm -hmm. he just steals the movie it's he is really incredible in this but indeed and i haven't seen ed wood that might be a fun one to watch uh sarah jessica parker's in that i think interesting uh, i believe and uh we love her we loved her in the family stone so a little stone a little wood you know uh a little strata yeah a little strata you know Uh, i didn't know but uh but yeah i i thought he was great in this i uh in terms of to answer your question of where did pulp fiction fall in the in the line of things, I feel like so. This was this was after like Reservoir Dogs, which is all men. Um, yeah, and I suppose there's like some connection. I think there's like a character in Reservoir Dogs is um, Vin- Vinny's brother, Vincent's brother, and so there's like some connection in there. But uh, yeah, and then he wrote Natural Born Killers around the same time, but that was directed by Oliver Stone. But I always kind of confuse that that it's not fully a quentin tarantino movie the way pulp fiction is it's an oliver stone quentin tarantino movie interesting um i mean also there's i mean really i feel it's bruce willis at his peak here sexual peak he's 39 he's he's so hot in this movie (laughs) i couldn't get over it it's since he this yes this is my favorite era of bruce willis this right here like he's hot in 80s and moonlighting and all of that but no like get into this era this pulp fiction the the fifth element um yes yes are are you i mean listen let's get into let's get into a very important question within the first 10 five 10 minutes of the episode i don't think this came up when we talked about bruce willis and his participation in look who's talking now and i think this is our first time actually talking about bruce no, we did the sixth sense. I take that back. Point B, oh, yeah. I don't know if we've ever talked about are you familiar with the movie The Color of Night? No. And I feel like maybe we've chatted about it or Keon and I have chatted about it, but I believe you see you oh. see it all. Oh am I You see the color of more than just night. Let me tell you what. <laughs> Let me tell you what. It's a little bit less dark, but you wow. see everything. Oh, you got I so at some point in my teenage years, and mom, if you're listening, sorry, but yep. Color of Night was definitely airing on one of the movie channels that we had, and I taped a significant portion of the Color of Night on a VHS tape, like between like two other things. So you'd have to really scroll to go look for the Color of Night footage. But most importantly, there is an infamous in my heart pool scene that, oh. Like it just, I I don't want to, I, all I want to say is go, go seek this out, go seek this out. Keon, I know it was your birthday recently. My belated gift to you is go (laughs) seek out the color of night. You don't even have to watch the whole movie. Just watch the, they're at, they're in the pool. And then the next thing you know, they're in the bed. Wow. I'm sure he already knows. He's pretty good at those. Like he, he knows way more movies where you see Dick than I do. I mean, it's one of I, his party tricks. Yeah, <laughs> I, Kat, then you need to catch up. I mean, what were you I doing know. through your teenage years? I th- weren't we all? Oh God, just I don't even know. Looking for movies with full frontal male nudity. <laughs> I guess not me. I don't know why. What was I doing? Probably watching Moulin Rouge for the seventeenth oh. time in my basement. But <laughs> wow. uh, but wow. I I I'm excited for that because he 
truly is so hot. And for some reason, I I feel like he he reads as a shorter guy, which is also fine. But he's six foot tall. I confirmed this today on Google, and I'm happy to I'm happy to know that. Oh yeah, you know, because you never you never know with them. You know, you never know who's who's a little you know five foot three fire plug. You know. Yeah, I mean, really, it's like Jason Statham. I feel is like the reincarnation of uh bruce willis like that action star bruce yes. Willis, and they're both hot they could they could be brothers really yeah yeah i they could do a really nice like father-son action movie maybe not anymore because you know yeah i know he's not doing well right Poor bruce yeah oh it's a shame he's oh yeah what a, you know i'll this may not it won't be the first time the last, the last time i'll say this but the westons are coming and Yonks ago, we talked about recognizing not just the queens, but the kings of, of the yes, the men who really stole our hearts, the Gutenbergs. And I think that this movie cemented that like Bruce is a king at the Westons this year. Yeah, a king, or maybe we have like a heartthrob category, but I, I like the idea. Well, that's of, like, what a royal, kings a are heartthrobs. Yeah, kings yeah. are heartthrobs. Yeah, they're they're just they're the, one and the same. Yeah, they're the, the one, you know, Dermot Mulrooney in oh, the yeah. wedding. Day. You know, oh God, He's babes. So oh, <laughs> I thought you were, when you said babe, I thought you meant like babe the movie. Babe, like, what? Pig in the city. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, James Cromwell. <laughs> yeah, know? I was just gonna say. Yeah. I couldn't think of his name. Yeah. I was like, he'll remember. He'll yeah, remember. of course. I, for no reason do I know that James Cromwell was in Babe except for this moment. I feel like there was. Um, on an episode of How Was Your Week with Julie Klausner, she talked about James Cromwell on American Horror Story and oh. how he like he's he has a line like, I wanna see your like I can't remember what it is, like your furry moss yeah. or something like that. Do you remember that? It's I like, remember the story and her being so horrified by him having this like filthy line. Yeah. Yes. It's so funny. Oh my gosh. Uh, but yeah, James. James, who's not in this movie, but like He's not. What a cast. Uh, and, and and I didn't know, I mean, you know, it, Pulp Fiction is not really about one thing, but I had no idea what Pulp Fiction was about. I didn't know who Mia Wallace was. I didn't know how she connected with uh, with What's-His-Snakes, with, with John Travolta's character. Um, what's his name? Vincent? Yeah, Vincent. Vincent, yep. Um, so all of this, everything, I kind of just went in blind. And I feel like... This was a great movie because I feel like this is one of those movies that you, everybody goes in knowing something because it's become such a, like a point of pop culture. But I really went in totally blind and and knowing it was a over two and a half hour movie, I was like, I put actually started watching last night and I was like, well, I'm a little tired, so let's maybe I'll watch part of it tonight and the rest of it tomorrow. Well, I watched the whole thing last night. I I stopped once to pee. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, it takes off. And it really, I love his, um, and I don't really know what you would call it, like a device, I guess, of like starting, like as far as like even in Kill Bill volume uh, one and, but specifically volume two, when they start off at that first wedding scene mm -hmm. and you know everyone gets murdered, but you don't see it until like the second movie and like in this scene, they start at the diner and they end at the diner. and But it's cool because it doesn't, you other movies are just linear and like the scenes just end and you move on to the next thing. You don't really jump around, but for some reason I really dig it when, when he does that. Yeah. I, it, it, 
it gives a lot more meaning. I mean, even to the ending, like the fact that we, you know, I was going to say spoiler alert, but I'm probably the only person listening who's never seen this movie. But the fact <laughs> that you know, like three quarters or, you know, a little bit less through the movie, like Vincent gets shot. And so like the yes. main character dies well before the movie ends. And, but I, that only ends up making everything else that we see happen in the kind of final act more meaningful. Yes, because the, I'm glad you brought that up. Of course, that's like a huge plot point, too. But there was part of me after I finished watching this, because, you know, anything more than two hours, I start to get antsy. But mm. I I felt the same. Like, with these movies, it feels like an exception. But I was like, could we have taken out the Bruce Willis part? Like, because it seems, it seems necessary and not necessary. Because the only way, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not remembering, the only way it sort of ties into the main plot is that he kills John Travolta. He yeah, Vincent. and it's other all, than that, it's like yeah. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, and it's all it's all something that happened after the rest of the like it's a, it's like a it's like yes, a sequel after story. the diner. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but I mean, I'm glad it's there. I'm I I totally forgot that Bruce Willis had this big of a part. Even if you would have asked me like a week ago before I rewatched this, if Bruce Willis was in this, I think I even said it on the podcast and maybe in my mind, I was like Bruce Willis is in this, but it's a significant role. It is. Yeah. I mean, he's, I would say he's the other main character, you know, for me, he was probably actually the one I ended up being the most invested in. And that story, I was kind of the most on edge about like, oh God, I really hope they get away. I really hope he and Fabian get away. And I, to me, he was as much the main character as Vincent was. I think so too. I'm like, where's the love? Where's his Golden Globe nomination? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Where's the love for Bruce? You know, yeah. Um, well, you know, speaking of which, because you know, this movie did get very much recognized in the awards circuit, and uh, you know, I thought maybe we would just do a quick, a quick mention. Please, this is a big year. I'll, I'll, I'll help you vamp a little bit too. But like, 1994 was a big year because like 1995, I guess, is the year of all the awards. But this is the Forrest Gump year, correct? And, yes. Um, the bullets over Broadway year. It's it's a good year for movies, as they say at every ceremony. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good year for movies. Uh, but yeah, this was. I mean, so of course Uma did get nominated for best supporting actress. But we, I'd, I'd be curious uh, to see if if and what we had said about her when we did our bullets over Broadway episode a million years ago, because oh, yeah. uh, that was uh, she lost out to Diane Weist and was also up yep. against Jennifer Tilly. I know doesn't get any better than that oscar nominee nominee jennifer tilly doesn't get any better than that um and of course rosemary harris and tom and viv which you love i was i was like oh, did i have i seen it but i you know love that movie you love, love that viv. movie yeah you're a big viv head i know that much um and then helen mirren for the madness of king george which i'm like i bet it's great in one sure. day, you know, it's a period one, piece though. Yeah, Look period out. piece. Yeah, big question mark over here. So, uh, but indeed, Samuel L. Jackson uh, was nominated and lo- and was up against Gary Sinise and Forrest Gump and yeah. Paul Schofield and Quiz Show and Chaz Palminteri and Bolts Over Broadway. But uh, you know, Marty took it, so deal with it. Um, yeah, and then I actually had no idea that John Travolta was nominated for an Oscar for this, and I thought that made that made me feel good that John Travolta got nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, I think in many ways too. I, I read in the IMDb it was a, it was a comeback for him and Bruce Willis to be honest, because it yeah. was kind of that weird period, like you know, 
they were looking for something. So, and I, I don't know about it to me that if they all feel like supporting characters, like it was John or Vincent's, I guess, story for a while. Like we were seeing a lot of him and then he dies in like two thirds of the way through. And then you kind of forget about him. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, certainly he's in the final act as well, but he spends much of it in the bathroom. And I really is a running theme <laughs> that if only he didn't have to go to the bathroom so much, Everything would have been different. Mia wouldn't have overdosed. Oh, know? that's right. He wouldn't have gotten shot. He would he have just gotten out of there and gone and pooped at the Getty down the street. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's such a dumb way to die. It's, you know, it feels like Tanya and the White Lotus. It, yep. it feels so like this is how they die. It likes just a stupid mistake. But that is realistic. It doesn't have to be this grand like fight. It can just be that. Right, right. Like it can just be this sort of strange turn of events. And it's almost like, you know, watching this, I kind of, I think one of the, my, my preconceived notions about Pulp Fiction was like, oh, this is one of those unpredictably violent movies like Goodfellas where like suddenly someone gets a trunk slammed on their hand, you know, it, yes. it, whatever. I, I don't know if someone just has a trunk there, they're going to pick it up and slam it on you. Um, I was thinking of like the the hood, the lid of the trunk of a car, but I just couldn't. Sure. Oh, yeah. My I brain stalled Ooh, out. Yeah, right. It was like, oh, that would hurt. Um, yeah. So I kind of had the same notion about Pulp Fiction. And certainly in that first scene, when they go to those that that one apartment, I was like, oh, God, I'm so tense. I know that there's going to be there's going to be gunshots. And so I guess you just kind of expect that this is the kind of movie that if characters are going to die, they're going to go out in some kind of, you know, blaze of glory or some kind of you know, like uh, momentous occasion. And so for yep. it to just be Vincent, you know, uh, staking out uh, Butch's apartment and then, you know, in a moment of quietude, realizing like, eh, this might be a good time to poop. And that <laughs> being the inopportune moment that he dies. I mean, I think that's I love that. I, I think that that's more interesting. For sure. I mean, I, I was like thinking of like how he could have got around. I would have taken the gun with me. I would have pooped with the door open and just like yes. laid low. I That's think... what anyone should have done. Well, and isn't that interesting, right? It's like you feel like someone in these situations, you know, you, you look at at how kind of measured and calm um, he and Jules were in that in that opening, you know, uh, killing. And it just it seems like there's a real sense of confidence about the whole thing. And yeah, so he it just seems like such a yeah such like a, a rookie move but i don't know maybe it's maybe this is like what happens when you're a heroin addict you just put your gun down and you don't poop with the door open yeah because it's not it feels like jules is the brains of the operation like oh yeah and I, it's but i don't think vincent's necessarily dumb either too but like you said he's an addict he could have been high he could have not been high but yeah, don't leave your gun on the counter, man. Come on. Yeah. And go at Ugh. home. Go at home. I just Yes. I just go at home. Um go to Burger King, you know? Yeah, um exactly. is there that joke in 30 Rock where Jenna like talks about like going to poop at the Burger King down the street? <laughs> yes, there's a whole list. She's like, "Love means something something something." And then she's like, "Love means pooping a Burger King downstairs." <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. So funny. Um well, you know, uh just to kind of, you know, to set things up, because we were just talking about, you know, not realizing how big of a role uh, Bruce Willis had in this. Conversely, I did not expect Uma Thurman to have such a relatively small role in the movie. 
Yeah, short and sweet, to be honest. Like a true definition of, I wouldn't say a true definition because I like to see my BSAs come back at a certain point. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. yeah, she just had those, I don't know, we'll say 30 minutes. I don't, I don't know how long her screen time was, but she does make an impact, but not as much as I remember, really. And I, I think I remember that a little bit. I don't know if I said that on the podcast or maybe didn't want to tell you um, or just maybe didn't remember. That's probably the case. But yeah, but even still, she did great. I mean, I am not disappointed. I, I sort of love it's kind of like Barbara Harris in Who's Harry Kellerman and Why Is He Saying Those Terrible yeah. Things About Me. It's like it's kind of like the most obscure reference we we could talk about in this podcast where it's like she's in one section of the movie. If you wanted to show somebody her performance or you wanted to show somebody Uma's performance in Pulp Fiction, you could just say fast forward to this timestamp and then she's in it till this timestamp. And you'd see yes. the whole thing other than like a brief scene by a pool with Marcellus later where she doesn't have any lines. And so yeah. this is everything. And I I really loved it. I actually, I I think I sort of love Mia Wallace more as like a one extended portion of the movie character versus someone who would come back a few times, which I'm with you. I typically like. I love when, you know, when a BSA has like three to four significant appearances, I'm like, ooh, that felt good, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I you're right. It's the perfect little package. You know, they they talk about her before they see her. They know that she's, you know, we learn that she's the wife of Marcellus and that, you know, he Vincent's just going to hang out with her for the night. And I love that when people talk about a character before they you actually meet them. And once you do, I mean, talk about a Halloween costume too. She goes I, I also love like after like things eventually like the shit goes down. She looks exactly like Lydia from Beetlejuice. She goes from like, like a party city, like wig to just like the exact wig used in Beetlejuice. Almost. It's so funny. Yeah. And makeup. It's such a, it is such a great Halloween costume and like what an economical one, you know, like it really is just about like, you know, you really just, you have to go to like New York and company, you know, and get a little pair of slacks, you know, New York and company. It's in like every mall. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, of uh, course, yes. Yeah. Oh, if I, you know, if I were a girl or if I were the type to wear ladies' clothing, I would shop at New York and Company and get a some slacks. Second. I yeah. would get slacks in a second. I would get so <laughs> many camis. I don't know if they've got them there, but I would get maybe a little, a little cardigan sweater set. I would yes. get a a dark purple sweater set. Ooh, that would be nice. Oh, anyway, where was I? So I'm in New York and Company. So you just have to go to New York and Company. You get some black slacks. You get a white button down. And then you go to the Spirit of Halloween. You get that black Bob wig. And, like, Bob's yep. your uncle. And, and obviously, don't wear any shoes. Of course, yes. Shoes are optional. Yeah. <laughs> in every, in every boy, it, we got, like, you know, we got a few little piggies in Kill Bill. But it is fully confirmed in Pulp Fiction. That For sure. Quentin loves feet. <laughs> it's so funny, too, because, like, I guess, I mean, the more women you cast, the more you could probably, like, and he, he writes it, too, like, for obvious reasons, because he wants to see it. But, um, yeah, there there was a lot. Yeah. There's I, some in, I think Margot Robbie shows her feet in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, too. She's, like, randomly sitting in a movie theater and, like, kicks her shoes off. And I'm like, good Lord. That would make sense. I mean, yeah, you got Margot Robbie. She's got two feet. You're Quentin Tarantino. Right. Like, it's easy, Mac. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, 
But there's even all that foot massage talk. There's kind of a, oh, yeah. you know, there, there's a mysterious foot massage that may have gotten some guy thrown off a fourth floor, you know, balcony. And so it's, there's even the talk between Jules and Vincent about, um, sort of in regards to that of like, you know, what is it? What's a foot massage matter? Would you give me a massage? You know, like, uh, yeah. if it doesn't matter, then, then it doesn't matter. And, and so it's just, it's a lot of feet talk. And, yeah. um, I don't know. I feel like after these past few weeks, I'm even looking at my own feet a little differently. <laughs> I can't wait for sandal season. I don't know about you. Yeah, we're going into winter, but um, yeah, it's really know, it's warm mean, in your apartment. Oh, I, oh, it is tropical in here. No shirt, <laughs> no shoes, no problem. So many problems. So many problems. <laughs> so many problems you don't want to know about. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh. Uh, so anyway, um, well, the whole idea is of all these inter- interconnected stories, Mia Wallace is the wife of this, you know, mob boss. You know, I, the, I'm, I'm sure our, for our, you know, uh, Pulp Fiction heads out there, I'm not going to get all the details right. I just got on the train, you know, so sure. uh, bear with me. But my understanding is that she is the wife of Marcellus Wallace who uh, is played by Ving Rhames. And uh, when we initially meet him, he has a Band-Aid on the back of his neck that I don't believe I ever got a conclusion on. Yeah, same with the suitcase, right? We have to talk about the suitcase And later, there's, but of course, I, the suitcase. Yeah, I just want yeah. to say that out loud. So yeah. Remember, hopefully. People make such a big deal about the, the glowing, what's in the suitcase. I want to know what's with the Band-Aid. You know, like... Yeah, where did that come from? Yeah, that's that's the pulpier part it's of the choice. It's a choice. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so he asks Vincent to, to take Mia out for, you know, a nice night out on the town. And, you know, of course it's set up with like, oh, the last guy massaged your feet and got thrown out the window. So you better be in your best behavior. And, that's true. uh, and that's, you know, and that's the kind of the like narrative of why she's in the movie is that Vincent's taking her out for a nice night out. And then, you know, at some point things go wrong, but it's she's a part of like a very short story within this collection of stories and it doesn't end up having really a lot of bearing, I think on any, uh, any of the other plots. Um, But I, again, I think I love it even more. I love it as just this sort of sweet pseudo love story. That's not actually like, it's not, it's not really romantic, but it's like the tension of a of a romantic love story. Yeah, it's the same way I feel about the Bruce Willis plot line. Like, we could have cut Uma from it, too, to be honest. And the movie would have been like an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes, which would have been great. But I'm also glad that they were there. Both. Of them. Yeah, I think that the part of the appeal of this movie is like the world of this movie. You know, like this this world of L.A. characters, you know, like, you know, even how it opens where the first people we meet are none of the people we've talked about, but these two, you know, robbers, pumpkin and honey bunny. Yeah. I, I think I said it last week for volume two is like, it is their own world. Like the police are not really involved. Like Mm. all of these shootings inside apartments, like no one granted, I wouldn't be running out of my apartment if I heard a gun, a gunshot, like to investigate, but like, no one calls nine one one. It just feels like all of these people are sort of untouchable in a way, but it all is forgiven because of that, because it would only complicate things if, you know, the police were called because, yeah, who needs who needs that? But within that is this world. And you can tell 
even with um John Travolta, I can't remember where they were. I don't know if it was the diner or maybe when he was with um Uma Thurman. Like you can see other people in 1994 out and about, and they kind of look out of place a little bit. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know if you noticed that because really in Kill Bill, you only really see these people isolated and in their world, but they're kind of out in the world. And it's really not that noticeable, but I, I tended to notice it a little bit more in this one. I felt that early, like from the beginning with, with Vincent and Jules in the car talking about, you know, the quarter pounder and cheese. We're like, just how they're dressed, just their hair. Like it's so, yeah, it, it's, it, it's so costumey and it's so like, it makes you think, Oh, is this like some kind of period piece? Is this all going to be set in the seventies? And it's, it's not it just has that yeah it has all of that that volume all these characters have that volume turned up um Mm -hmm. and it's either this kind of sort of anachronistic feel like vincent or jules or even mia or it's these like scum buckets like pumpkin and honey bunny and um lance and uh and judy you know the the drug dealer and his girlfriend i feel like it's either these like they're either from a different time or they're from like under a bridge somewhere. Yeah. Oh my God. That I guess it's, there's so many different ways where we could go. I mean, where do we want to, I know you were in the middle of kind of uh, spelling out the plot for us, but it it kind of does branch out in different directions too. Is there somewhere you want to go next? Well, why don't we mention, you know, uh, we're, we'll we'll zone in on on Mia and uh, and Vince, and I have definitely a lot of thoughts on on their extended scenes together at, at yeah. Jackrabbit Slims. I really love that scene, but you know, again, we spend the beginning of the movie a significant period of time with Pumpkin and Honey Bunny, played by Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer, and I thought they were both like. They could have been their own characters in their own movie. I was like, oh, this, these two are fascinating. You know, just kind of talking about the nature of like, you know, robbing banks and whatnot. And there's at one point where she like sort of coquettishly like lays her head on her arm on the table and goes, I won't kill anyone. And I was like, oh, yes. I could follow you the rest of this movie. Oh, yeah. And when she stands up and she's like, if any one of you fucking pricks move, I'll execute every last one. I Oh, my <laughs> the God. The roar. She has a good roar. I love how she starts that line where like she's like, um, if any of you fuckers move and she's like turning and grabbing her gun as she says, like she starts the line while she's turning to grab her gun. It's just like this great yeah. little beat. And oh, my God. Yeah, that is the roar. And, you know, it's funny. That is the only other thing I knew about Pulp Fiction. Because I had heard on some, like, I don't know. So I don't. I feel like it was some mixtape my father let mm-hmm. me buy in the East Village when I was 12 that had, you know, God knows what, some, all these, like, remixes and techno, like, weird basement y mixes. I don't know. It was like some guy on heroin made this, you know, cassette that I was listening to. And I don't even, I, I don't know why my father let me buy it, but whatever. I suppose it's a version of cataloging I should be appreciative of. But one of these songs sampled her saying that, like, any of you fuckers move! And <gasps> no I, way. so I never knew what the context was of that, and it always kind of scared me. I'm like, oh my god, like, she seems like a mean lady, you know? Um, so seeing yes. this was like also a revelation of like, oh, that's where that came from. So we have solved a 
26? Oh, Jesus. How old am I? Oh, God. A 26-year-old mystery. <laughs> it's okay. I, there was a TikTok I saw earlier this week that was like, yeah, 30 years ago, like the 70s. And they're like, no, 30 years ago, like 1992 or whatever. And I was like, yeah, that's... Uh, that was 30 years ago. That's disgusting. <laughs> so weird. That's dis- so weird. Yeah. There are like fully grown adults who are feeding themselves who were born after Full House was a TGIF staple. Yeah, it's weird. I remember people like being born in 96. I thought were old, but they're not far behind us. No, yeah. I, I uh, no, I just I have nothing to say about this. It's okay. I mean, it is it is strange too because there's all these TikToks about how Gen Z makes fun of millennials for wearing like mom jeans and I'm just like, guys, who cares? Fashion does not matter. It's not that I don't want to look nice either, but like you're going to look back at what you're wearing and what you're doing in 20 years from now and you're going to be so embarrassed of how you were. Yeah, and you're going to uh, get made fun of too. So it really doesn't like matter to the, me the baton continues to be passed and like the next it's like each generation then becomes you know like the boomers took over for the the greatest generation there you know what i mean like now yeah. now they're the old men yelling at clouds you know and then yes. gen x is old men yelling at clouds and we're gonna be old we are old men we are old men on a podcast yelling at clouds and talking about <laughs> actresses it, yeah, it, it, we are there. And these Gen Zers, you know, part of me wants to just be like, enjoy it now. Enjoy the bath yeah. while the water's still warm, because soon it's just going to be skin soup. Yeah, it's like that meme of Kermit the Frog sipping tea by the window, just waiting. It's just, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. So we like, I mean, it's mainly like women's fashion, because I don't know why, but like mom jeans and... I don't. What else do millennials like that Gen Z doesn't like? I don't know. Who cares? I don't but, know. Pictures um, of our pets. I think that always seems to be the gag of like, "Oh, do you guys want to see pictures of my dog?" And that's like the impression of an of a millennial. Really? And I'm like, okay, so what? Do you, what are? What that's so that's bad because Gen Zers are now like, oh, do you want to see a picture of my NFT? Like, what's the? What's NFT? cool now? Oh God, I know. Yeah, and like. Oh God, I I don't know, I don't know, and like I I did see another TikTok where you could tell a millennial by how they dance if they put their hands up in the air. The error, I don't know why I said it like with seven <laughs> syllables. The error, and I was like, that's so specific. But who would clock that? I don't know, but it's something we do. I don't know, and I'll never do it again. I never do it. <laughs> it I... feels weird. Like mm, I guess I probably would. <laughs> I'm like an know. Irish step dancer. I my hands stay <laughs> practically in my glued. pockets. Yeah, <laughs> Michael yeah. Flatley, move. Um, yes. <clears throat> well, I guess speaking of of uh, dancing with your hands above your neckline, I guess we should get back to Vincent and um, and Mia here at the the Jack Rack. Ja- well, here we go. Jack Rabbit Slims, which I thought was like such a cool set piece, especially for for them. Like you said, they are these elevated kind of mildly cartoony get-ups and it just fits so well in this and i love that john travolta is like high as a kite during this whole scene and so is she just on coke yeah right i mean it's like what's interesting is they're not even drinking in this scene like this is yeah, yeah. but they're both like super fucked up 
and and it's i think it's really smart to like since they both do look like they're going to like american bandstand for them to go to this kind of like johnny rockets on acid and and because i think it'd be it wouldn't it would feel different if they were just at like a tgi fridays you know or like an old yeah, steakhouse some, you know yes yeah or some grungy dive bar it just it's it suits it so much better i did not know i did not clock steve buscemi in this as the waiter as the buddy holly waiter I, maybe it was the glasses i wasn't paying attention to him at all but that was nuts for me yeah i i i did not realize that until i did some scrolling on the cast later and i thought oh well how do you yeah. like that the, you know the movie has both steve buscemi and christopher walken and yet they don't interact at all yeah oh yeah that's right yeah they it's just star studded yeah now you just really need it i mean i guess that would be like the the generational family comedy it would be like christopher walken steve buscemi and uh pete davidson you know yeah right. just you know you, you look at the you look at the three of them it's like six piss pits in the sand you know just these dead eyes yes <laughs> so true oh god i know that's mean but because you know what at the end of the day let me tell you something i see the pete davidson appeal i would oh for sure absolutely would uh that that is a that is a a beautiful example of our generation sexy ugly Oh yes, that should be in the dictionary. Yeah, the millennial dictionary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, watch out, zillennials. You have your own sexy uglies, don't you? Have like, That's uh, right. I don't know. Isn't didn't Elon Musk have a kid? You know, wait till that kid's <laughs> eighteen, know. and then you can make that one your your definition of sexy ugly. Yeah, there we go. The other thing about all of this, about being in this very sort of stylized environment is all of the the names for all of the food and all of the lingo for when she orders the milkshake and he's like all right you want that name as an andy or a, or a martin and lewis and the way that she just casually knowingly goes martin and lewis i mm -hmm. i love that this is a place that she loves to go to yeah it's sort of kitschy and i guess that's true i i don't think that's a very clever way to like provide some subtext that this is not her first time there she's reserved the car she knows that like she knows the menu is semi well or at least like you know well enough that she probably orders that shake once or twice to know if she wants vanilla or chocolate uh yeah it sounds like a great meal i don't know if i'd order a steak there though no i really i that that brings up a really important point is like there are not many plates i rarely order a steak in general mm -hmm. but at this point like that to me feels like other than like fish i just feel like ordering a steak at certain places is really a recipe for mediocrity yeah i don't really order it unless i am at a steakhouse i'll order it at a uh, texas roadhouse <laughs> oh do, do they have good steaks I, will. I mean good enough i i'm sure that there are people listening that are like nick why but um you know i've not it hasn't been bad enough for me to you know, stop ordering them. But maybe the bar isn't as high. I've definitely been to like some high-end steakhouses as well. I know the difference. I've I've tasted better steak than that, obviously. But I think that's the lowest I would go mm. is a Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, oh, those buns. Oh, you know, I feel like I've never actually been to a Texas Roadhouse. We we wow. were, you know, we did we were a big Chili's, Fridays, Outback Steakhouse. You know, like. This is a whole tangent, but when I look back on my childhood and like the ex we went to non chain places, but the extent 
to which we went to restaurants that I now, well, if I had a Chili's closer to me, I would go, but I would like never go to an Applebee's now, but, or even a Friday's, like the idea of going to Friday's, it's like, all right, well, let's go to Friday's. But when I was a kid, that was like, yes, we're going to Friday's. Yes. Yeah. That was a treat. That was high end. Red yeah. Lobster was the the highest, really. Oh, and Olive Garden. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We never went to Red Lobster. Yeah, yeah. we only went on our birthdays. Oh, yeah. And I remember the bill was like eighty four dollars, and I was like, "What?" Right. <laughs> well, you know, now in comparison, in this movie, when he's like a five dollar milkshake, I was like, "What?" Like five dollar milkshake? That milkshakes are like twelve dollars now. Yeah, especially if you go to, um, you know. What's that? Do you have? Do you know Burgatory? I think I've heard do you have of a Burgatory it. near you. Okay, I feel it's, it's, it's good. They have shakes. There's okay. really great shakes there. Yeah, they have a uh, uh, what is it called? Coffee and donuts milkshake that's really good, and they have um, like a like a s'more toasted mars- marshmallow milkshake that's really good. Oh, can you get non dairy? That's true. I always forget about that. I don't know. Probably. Mm. Who knows? Let me tell you, Probably boy, not, that no. has saved my life more often than it hasn't. You know, the things that has stopped me from eating, it's a its a goddamn blessing. I wish I couldn't eat more things. Yeah, that's that's a shame. But yeah. it, I guess it's a double-edged sword, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm missing out, but I'm, I'm also fitting into my pants. And, uh, yeah. I'd be wearing a tablecloth with a hole in the middle right now if I could eat dairy. <laughs> Let me tell you what. Uh, yes. Um, still eat cheese anyway so uh one of the things in their conversation that i loved is so mia this is so fascinating to me i love this i this character uh narrative of mia was in a failed pilot like however many years ago and Mm -hmm. you know didn't get picked up and so that was it that was as she says her 15 minutes and i just that made me think oh there are so many failed pilots out there and you wonder about those actors who because sometimes, you know, you you look at the casts of some of these old failed sitcoms. Maybe, maybe they make it a few episodes and they get canceled. But somewhere like fourth or fifth build be someone where it's like, oh, oh, look, Ernie Hudson was in this, you know, or like, oh, uh, look at that. It's uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. And yes. And so it's like, OK, good. They went on to do more. But a lot of those people, maybe that was it. Maybe that was the big break. And then that was it, baby. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's a great podcast. But how would you get like copies of those failed sitcoms? You know what yeah. I mean? Like just talking about that. But you're right. It's like there's so many things out there that just. Oh God, there's probably dozens, like even yearly, you know, and yep. maybe even more than that that are just never make it. And you it's think sad. the ones that get canceled after a few episodes, like we look at that as like, oh my God, like I'm fascinated by it when I come across a show on imdb where it's like six episodes what what happened oh no 1993 what happened but if you look at it in comparison (laughs) that show was like super lucky that's like the queen who goes home home first on drag race think of all the queens she didn't even get on the fucking show oh i know because like the way that you do it is like i'm gonna butcher this but like i feel like if you get signed for a pilot, like you get signed for like six years or something like that, like you're, you're locked in if it is, as long as it like continues to be on the air, which like to any actor is like incredible. Like, yes, sign me on please. Or sign me up. But sometimes it doesn't work out. And that's so like, imagine buying like upgrading your apartment or buying a car or something like that. And then, 
it's yeah. just so sad. Thinking that's it. I'm moving to LA. I'm buying all this. I'm I'm my career begins. And then next thing you know, you're at Texas Roadhouse asking somebody if they want more <laughs> roles. Yes. And you're like, boy, the the irony of me asking if other people want more roles is not lost on me. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um well in any event, so there this show that she was on, I mean, I there was way too much trivia on IMDb to confirm this, but there was a lot about this Fox Force 5 that reminded me of the Kill Bill gals. Yes, a little bit. Yeah. There was, she played the one who is the expert with knives. There was the Japanese, you know, uh, uh, martial artist or Kung Fu master. There was the oh, black yeah. girl. Um, so it wasn't like exact, but it was all of the Vernita. Uh, you know, I feel like even L driver was somewhere in there. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I'm sure that is. That's yeah. Cool. So I thought that was like, that was a really nice illusion. I feel like between that and Butch finding that, you know, pseudo Hanzo sword in the pawn shop yes! later. I gasped. I was yeah. Like, oh. And those were things where it was more gratifying to have already seen Kill Bill and then to see these. It was very Pulp Fiction to see these references that were made 10 years prior, but to see them after, yeah. you know? That works out really. I'm I'm so glad that it did. Yeah, I thought it was so cool. So, um, but this whole scene between Mia and Vincent, the chemistry between yes. the two of them is so, and she is so charming. You know, like uh, mm -hmm. when he asks to try her shake, and then you know he goes to not use the straw, and just the way she says, "You can use my straw. I don't have cooties." Yes. It's because, like, if she's 24 in her 20s, like, there's still a little bit of that innocence, you know what I mean? And she's like dating a mob boss, but like, it's it's fun to see that that she's not that she's like very elusive. Like, her look is so interesting, and her hair is interesting, but she still wants to have fun, and is and they're like decides to take him of all places. Like, they could have went to like a five star restaurant. Yeah, and and but instead she takes him to Jack Rabbit Slims. I love that, and the way that she's so, like the joke conversation. She's like, she's so excited to tell him about like in you know every episode I'd have like this like this skit. I forget what word she uses. Like this sort of like one liner or something. Mm -hmm. I think, and he's like, well, tell me, and she's like, yeah, you won't like it. I'll be I'll be embarrassed. Oh, if I, I love do it. that. The way that she kind of looks down, it's so yep. good. kind of covers her face with her hand partially. Oh, I love that. Um, you know, she then, she then of course excused herself to powder her nose in the bathroom. And I couldn't help but think of the fact that Debbie Miller also went to the bathroom at one point in hysterical <gasps> blindness. And, uh, you know, anytime I can just remember Debbie Miller, uh, is a good time, but you know, when she, I actually thought this was going to be, I had, I had money on this being your line at the beginning of the episode. Cause Ooh. I just thought this had, this, had, this was a, a you <laughs> thought. And cause I agree with it as well. When she comes back and goes, don't you just love it when you come back from the bathroom to find your food waiting for you? Yes. Oh God. I wish I would have remembered it. I should have wrote it down, but a great line. Yep. That oh. is definitely a Nick approved line, yeah. but I mean, Keon and I have our own like sort of version of that. Like anytime our food's taking a little bit long, Keon goes to the bathroom and like n maybe like seven times out of 10, by the time he goes to the bathroom, comes back, the food arrives. I it's the best feeling. I wonder if that's where he learned it. <gasps> oh my gosh. Keon, Keon. The whole time. The whole time. You, you didn't have <laughs> to go. You didn't week. have to go. <laughs> yes. Had to go powder his nose. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
Oh, God. It reminds me of that line from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Were you doing coke in the bathroom? <laughs> oh, gosh. That's um, great. Anyway, uh, so I so I, I love that. I just love how, how charming she is. But then, you know, she, they also have that, that conversation about, you know, is, don't you just hate that uncomfortable silences? And, you know, you know, you, you really found a good person when you can just sit there in, in silence with each other and be comfortable. And I feel like to me, that just felt like there were people in the 90s who just like that was like a that was a line people talked about. I don't know. That was a line that like people like us, but they weren't on a podcast, like talked about with their friends in their 90s living rooms. Yes. And I think they say a version of that. in when Harry met Sally, too, after they sleep with each other, it's so nice to just go out with someone and not have to talk. And Sally's just like eating her spinach salad like across the way from him, too. But it it is like a very human situation, I guess, too. Like I I'd like to say that I'm comfortable with silence. But like if it's a group of people, especially if it's like a group we like we were at a friend of our a friend of ours house like house on sunday and it was like kind of a mixed bag of people and there were a lot of lols and i was like fuck i can't think of anything to talk about right now but i guess it's different with one-on-one like i'm i'm better with that i guess but a lulls in a group are horrifying i mean they're just <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying weird. it's like wait a minute nobody like what no one uh yeah i wasn't and like i don't need like why do i need to be the one to steer that conversation you know i get i get that there are people that there are steerers and then there are sort of like the listeners and you know and then like it, it sort of gets the conversations but my kind of conversations are like if I'm running out of stuff, I'm like, so what are you watching? What are you watching these days? Mm-hmm. Like that's because that tells me everything I need to know about them. And if I'm lucky enough, they'll say something that I also love. And then there's a connection. Right, right. Yeah, I, that's that's what you kind of hope for. You kind of think if you if you knock the, the volleyball over the net, maybe they'll maybe they'll they'll punt it back. I sometimes yeah. in those situations, I, I just feel like Sandra Bullock in speed after she hits the baby carriage. You know what I mean? I'm just like <laughs> steering and screaming. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Look at the baby. Oh god. <laughs> They're cans. They're just cans. Yeah. <laughs> it's just silence. Just relax. Yes. Let people oh, think. God. <laughs> I know. Oh my god. Yeah, I I know and I always think like if I wasn't here to to manically come up with a new thing to talk about right now, these people would just sit in silence. Thank God I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like folks, you got to yeah. Think of something. Isn't anyone feeling incredibly anxious right now? Is it really just me? <laughs> yes. Everyone takes a sip of wine at the same time. Right. I'm like, oh, good God. Get me out of here. Oh, God. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, so, yeah. And I, I mean, I certainly, as a, as a chatty Kathy, I certainly think there is some truth that, like, being able to sit in comfortable silence with someone, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I have that. I kind of feel like... You know, sometimes when I'm about to fall asleep, things are pretty quiet. You know what I mean, it's like I don't know. <laughs> yes. But I usually no, have I a, get it. Usually have an episode of Rhoda on, so I don't. There really is no comfortable silence in my life. That's that's why I do these podcasts. <laughs> yeah, most of the time, if Keon and I are out and about and we're quiet, every once in a while we'll we'll both kind of zone out at dinner. But most of the time, we're quiet. Like when we're like 
just like shoving food down our throats mm-hmm. because we're fast eaters, both of us. And we, Keon, more than me, he gets in the zone, I call it. And he just kind of like goes to town. But he knows this. Yeah, at parties. And then we you both have to sort of cap his arm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Got to get the cane. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, uh, and that's when they get into the conversation about the guy about he he because she says think of something to talk about when i come back from the bathroom and so he eventually asks about this guy tony getting thrown off the fourth floor balcony and i feel like mia shifts here she goes from that cutesy don't you just love when your food's here to him you know asking about you know did tony get thrown off the fourth floor balcony because he was rubbing your feet uh and she has that line of like, oh, so you thought that was reasonable for him to be to get thrown off, you know, a fourth fourth story at a th- fourth story window for touching my feet. You thought that was OK. Mm-hmm. And she just like she is much older than 24 suddenly. Yeah, it was a switch for sure, because it's she almost like calls him out. Like, do you really think that's true? Like that that's the reason why he'd like because it's it does seem the crime does not. What am I trying to say? The punishment does not suit the crime, Fit whatever the crime, that phrase yeah. is. Yeah, fit the crime. It is a little much, but like that's what that whole conversation with Jules and Vincent is about. It's like a foot massage is sensual. You're you're touching someone's body. And I feel like it would be I don't think it 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 merits like being thrown off a balcony. Maybe like uh maybe a rough and tumble or like don't fucking do that again. Like don't touch my wife. Yeah. But um I Maybe mean, that's just me. I, I don't know. I listen. I mean, I'm I used to not be into feet, but as of mm-hmm. uh, as of a couple weeks ago, um, but feet are in. Feet, feet are in. in. But now <laughs> that, that fellow travelers episode, if you watch that, oh, that, that steamy scene. Oh, I, did you watch it? Maybe I'm calling you out on oh, your assignment that you didn't no, do. Oh, I didn't do my assignment. <gasps> that's okay. Well, there's a, there's a little um, foot scene in the the pilot of Fellow Travelers. So okay, I gotta I gotta get steamy. on that. Maybe I'll watch that yeah. tonight or something. Oh, okay. I gotta get I gotta get into. I mean, that. you mean I watched all of Cujo and you? Oh didn't... <laughs> no, <laughs> I forgot about that too. I oh. crammed it in today. Oh my god! All uh, right, but we'll talk about it on the best supporting after show available at patreon.com slash the BSA what is it called BSA pod i was gonna say like the good patreon i'm, I'm getting my wires crossed but go to go sign up for the good patreon yeah. while you're at it yeah why good not vanilla anyway well <sighs> so anyway well, so... next week you'll get that reference and yes we'll talk about it okay yes. all right well well just you wait you know because i'm not i'm yeah. gonna watch the whole show i'm gonna do a book report on it you know, yes. um, I'm going to make up for this. So, yes, uh, but I love that that line when she when she's really digging into Vincent and when she says, when you little scamps get together, you're worse than a sewing circle. And I love that line, too. Uh, she just it, she just takes it. And I love when she says, you know, uh, you know, whatever reason Marcellus threw him, you know, off a of fourth i keep i can't remember if it's balcony or window but through them you know yeah let's just say balcony off a th- fourth story balcony is between you know marcellus and god or marcellus and himself i don't know why he did it which also says mm-hmm. a lot about their relationship where she's like yeah my husband did that i don't know why i have nothing to do with it and i it just yeah. it also i think really sets up when we get to the end of me a scene that like she is also someone who needs to keep the secret from marcellus as well and so it's a really interesting way of absolving vincent's anxieties about this whole night of like anything that ended up going wrong she's like i would be in as much trouble as you would and so we kind of know Mm -hmm. from this earlier conversation that like she and marcellus also 
they they don't they have a lot of uncomfortable or comfortable silences because they don't tell each other everything. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the most solid foundation for a relationship or even just a solid relationship in general. Yeah, though I would love to know more about it. I, I that's it's like I want to see a whole movie about Marcellus and Mia. Yeah. So eventually they go back. Oh, I, I don't want to leave the the Jack Ra- Rabbit's limbs if you're not ready to. I was going to jump back to the house. Well, you know, I think you know this. Of course, leads to the infamous dance scene. You know, when she says, "Oh, that's right, Jesus know. Christ!" Thank you, thank you. Yeah. No, I want to dance. I want to win. I want that trophy. So yes. dance good. And uh, I yes. I you know I love the dance scene. I thought that song was so good. I I just. I don't know. It didn't make me cringe at all. If uh, if anything, once John Travolta started dancing, I was like, oh, John, this is what yeah. you do. And the fact that they both took off their shoes, too. It was oh, so interesting. Quentin but I guess you can twist it. better. Mm-hmm. You could twist better in socks. Yeah. I guess. Or at least for John or for Vincent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, but you're right. It is. It's so cheeky. And I feel like such an iconic dance scene. Like if I, if I knew anything of Pulp Fiction before my first time watching it, it was that dance scene and, you know, like the fingers, you know, it's, and I think I read an IMDB where she, like Uma was kind of nervous to dance with John Travolta mm-hmm. because, you know, it's John Travolta. Like he's, he can move those hips. He's still got it. And I love that it's both just like fucked up they're both high dancing yeah. and it really feels that way. Cause like, it's almost like that thing where like, Oh, this is so good, but it's almost bad in a way. Mm-hmm. Almost. But yep. still for the most part, pretty good. And they are committed. I think that's the biggest part of it is they're fully committed, mm-hmm. but it's like knowing the fact that they win the trophy. I'm like, they weren't great. They was, this wasn't like, you know, d- dirty dancing or anything, you know, but, and it, it's not like we ever see it take off. I mean, the, the scene fades to black while they're dancing, but they're so committed to it. And I, I love the idea that, yeah, they are both totally fucked up. Yeah. It's, it almost reminds me of the dance in like silver linings playbook. The uh-huh. two of them, like, it's just, uh, but that one is more clunky than this one for sure. But yeah, you're right. It's like, I almost like chuckled a couple times during this, this, uh, when they danced in this movie, but it also, again, works. That scene is like, so memorable for so many reasons too. And I love how it just kind of cuts to them walking back uh, at the house and they have the trophy. Yeah. And you know, he tells her he's got to pee and and just the way with the hands that she goes, that's a little bit more information than I needed Vince, but go right ahead. Oh, she's so cool. The, The Eileen Davidson award for being so hot and so cool. Ooh, mark that one down. Yep. I'm going to put that in my, my Weston notes here on my phone, but um, there was some, oh, do you think, do you think that that is when someone says, especially if it's someone you don't really know too well, ah, I gotta go pee. Do you think that's TMI? No, I, for some reason that has never, that doesn't, that, that would never bother me. Uh, it has never, I have never found that weird. I've never felt the need for someone to be like, oh, I just need to, you know, uh, use the you know, the little girl's room, whatever. Like, you go ahead, feel free to say whatever. But like, oh, I gotta pee first. Has never resonated as anything other than like, oh yeah, go pee. But if someone were to go say, oh, I'm gonna go take a shit, that would resonate. If like, okay, I 
I don't. I didn't need to be brought into the room with you with that one. Yeah, know? I could smell it already. I think um, Vincent says that later. Yes! Like, at the diner, which is funny. And for some reason, John Travolta saying that just made it give it gave me the ick, as the kids say. Yes. I did not like that. I was like, ew. But I've been. And I don't think this is a character flaw by any means, folks. Like, you're free to, like, react how you want to react. But there have been a few people in my life, most of the time, if I maybe had just met them, like, oh, I got to go pee. I'll be back. And they're like, okay, wow, didn't need to know that. And, like, it's just pee. Like, it's right. fine. Like, I could say, like, oh, I got to go. I've got to go to the bathroom real quick. But I don't know. For some reason, going to the bathroom is more mysterious because is it one? Is it two? Yeah. I don't know. You're maybe um, you're being vague because you don't want to say like, uh oh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go poop in your bathroom. Like, I just. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't I don't know why, even though I'm I think I'm just being very contradictory because I'm like, yeah, I don't see the problem with it. But you change one word in that sentence and I'm like, oh, I have a problem with that. You know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I would never say I, I have to go. Only maybe with my very close friends who I know are comfortable with poo would I would I ever say that. Or if it's like an emergency. Mm. Like I and, and it's only like the two of us, like, I gotta go home now, or we gotta turn around now because this is happening. And you know, they we make it work. But yeah. they're only that's like a the inner inner circle of right friends and acquaintances. Yeah. Yeah. But, we uh, all sign a yearly NDA of like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. This but never um yeah. <laughs> Alas, they are home. Mia finds that super great stash of Coke from Lance, played by Eric Stoltz, which I kind of loved. Mm. Um, and she she overdoses. She takes way too much. And it's it goes from like zero to 27 here because she is not looking well. And even just like the makeup they did for this scene and like the blood coming out of her nose. Mm -hmm. And like, again, Lydia from Beetlejuice and Vincent comes out of the bathroom it's my worst nightmare to be fucked up and for this to happen. Even if I was sober, I would have a heart attack. But like, mm -hmm. I can't believe that this happened. And I remember the first time watching this, my my heart was pounding. <laughs> yeah. How are you during all of this? Well, yeah, I mean, that feeling of like, oh, God, to suddenly have to be responsible when you're like totally fucked up is is terrible. I mean, I I think watching this, I was so I was so caught up in the like. And maybe this being it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie, like everything's in the details. I was so caught up in like the way she had the like frothy drool coming out of her mouth. Oh, I was like, God, yeah, and yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, is that like, is, is that Coke or that's making it white? Is it just frothing because she's frothing at the mouth? Like, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, it kind of reminded me of that scene in Psycho after Janet Lee's character gets killed and she's laying there on the floor of the bathroom. <gasps> Yes. Um, so I was wondering if there was a, a connection to that. I love when, when Vincent was like, come on, come on. We got to walk. Let's go. And I was we got to walk. We gotta like walk. woman, lady. I forget what he calls her. It's so funny. It's so funny. Um, and so, yeah. And like, I think I was at some somewhere along the way I had seen a flashbulb of the adrenaline scene. So I knew that she wasn't going to die. But um, but yeah, it was I mean, the the scene that really affected me in terms of like, if we're talking about drug scenes and this goes for any movie, I cannot watch needles and no I way. do yep. not understand why movies always need Insist. to show you the close up of the needle going in somebody's skin. Yeah. I really can't even hear 
stories about like Jamie went to get blood drawn at the doctors and they couldn't find a vein. Oh, I was like, stop, out. just stop. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I don't need to hear it. I know what it's like. I've I've been there. Um, you know, Ugh. it's it's too much. But yeah, it's like the, the panic and just like the screaming at each other, uh, like uh, <laughs> when Vincent is like screaming at Lance and he's screaming at his wife and they're just like they're having these conversations when they just need to like act and they're looking for this like black book and this house is a fucking wreck, of course, too. And they find the needle, the shot of adrenaline and the needles like the size of a ruler. It is just too much. And uh, I'm surprised Vincent did it. I thought Lance was going to do it. But it is Vincent's problem, too. Like, it, it's not the drug dealer's problem that he overdosed. Yeah. Overdosed. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a great sort of it's a great group scene. Like, it's got a great kind of choreography to it between, the you know, there's like, what's your name? Trudy just sitting on the couch. But between uh, Judy and Lance and, and Vincent each yelling at each other and get me a marker. Like it, it, it was just so well choreographed and like directed. I just, I noticed like that was another thing I picked up was like, wow, this is, this is so well directed um, how they're all kind of yeah. interacting with each other. Uh, and then, yeah, he, he just slams that thing in her chest and it was, it was very reminiscent of Daryl Hannah when she got her eye ripped out and kill Bill. I was just going to say, Oh my God, it's so good. Like, I, I don't even know if he had time to like put his thumb down and inject the adrenaline. For some reason, it's just like needle in. She flew out like from the floor and like landed on the couch. It was it was comical and yet so relieving at the same time. Oh my God. And then they was like, if you're okay, say something. And she just goes, something. And I just, I, yes. and, and there it was like a whole new version of Mia. Like, I think that kind of like older demanding woman who wanted to dance at, at you know, uh, Jackrabbit Slims. Jack Slims. Now she's almost like younger than she was when she came back from the bathroom and saw her food had arrived. Yeah, Lydia. Is her name Lydia Dietz? Why am I Lydia De- Dietz. Dietz? Dietz. Dietz. I don't know why I yeah, like I can guess that. But, Dietz and um, Watson yeah. uh, lunch meats. Oh, I don't know what that is. Oh, I get these fucking ads on TikTok. It's always this gay guy who's trying to get me to. He's always he's. It, it's just like you know, and I don't have the time. I just have you know. I love a cold cut, you know, and it's just one of those one of those Zachariah, you know, middle aged woman trapped in a gay man's body kind of gaze that like you know look at the fucking mirror, call you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah, we all are yeah, right? Like you know, uh, we we think yeah. the lady death protested too much, but anyway. Uh, yeah, they always got this gay trying to get me to buy more like packaged turkey. I mean, I love a cold. I I do love a cold cut. There's nothing better than like if you buy, especially fresh lunch meat. This is like mm. a core sort of, I guess, memories, plural. Um, like my mom coming back from the grocery store, she got like some really good lunch meat. She got some really good cheese. Um, maybe she, you know, of course, she got a bag of chips and some Coke and you just make yourself a sandwich and fresh bread. There's nothing like it. It's yeah. like, it's a very simple pleasure in life that I, we don't keep bread in the house that much. I don't know why. I mean, I, I ate like a whole pack of Oreos today. Like I just bring in the bread. Just bring <laughs> like, in the bread. Cares? Yeah. Like get some um, good fucking yeah. like bakery bread. Yes. We went over to our neighbor's, for Halloween and there's like this bread service that they have. They're like bougie gays. They're like, I don't know. They just have a great house and they're, they, they, they seem wealthy and I already forget the name of it, but it, it comes frozen. I think you thaw it out and the bread was incredible. I was like, 
Ugh, when, I want that. When you said bread service, I was imagining like tea service. Like they were doing like, oh, they just had a, oh. a variety of breads. And then we, <laughs> yes. did a, we did a rye uh, course and then we switched yes. to the pumpernickels. And I thought, my I mean, God. <laughs> that sounds nice. To, like, you know, like a wine tasting. Let's do a, a bread tasting. Yes. Wine well, and bread. Yes. And dips, you know. Ugh. Yeah. Oh. Bread and breakfast. <laughs> yeah. I... I Bread and breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's it's bread and then we make French toast out of whatever's left over. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Give it to the homeless. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I don't know why I mentioned that, but um, sandwiches we were talking Lady about. Lady Adit. Yeah, and, yeah. All of yes. this. And that ride home between the two of them, too. It's just like, what a night they had. And like that line just made me laugh so hard too. Like, if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna go home and have a heart attack. Oh, I love like, that. Yeah. Not only would it be terrible if she died, it's like you killed your boss's wife, which means that you are also dead. So going back to what you're saying too is like it's such such a relief as she's standing there, of course, barefoot in the pavement. Yeah. Of and course. just like looking like she's been through it. Um, that, that, you know, she reassures him, like, this is fine. Like, I, I'd be in just as much trouble if he found out. So we're good. And I love that, you know, throughout this, their entire time together, there's never a kiss. There's never a line crossed. I mean, beyond the whole, like, you know, ODing and adrenaline and all that stuff. But, like, there wasn't any, he, you know, kind of kept his honor. She kept, you know, so to speak, like, I, what mm -hmm. I love about this is that it's, other than him blowing her a kiss as she's walking away, it's really this like friendship that they have, you know, and it's really, and I, I think that, you know, kind of goes back to when Harry met Sally. It's very interesting to watch a friendship in a movie because there's so many more nuances to explore versus like some very familiar beats in terms of a, of, of a love story. Yeah. Because why did Marcellus invite Vincent? Like out of all the people, you know, it, it seems to know that Vincent wouldn't be a threat. And like, they almost go there. Like when they come back from the dance contest and they're, they're kind of all over each other a mm -hmm. little bit. But then this is one of my favorite moments for it with Vincent is like when he's in the bathroom, he's like, all right, okay, you're going to go in there. You're going to have like maybe one, maybe two drinks. Then you're going to go home and masturbate or jerk off. And, and then you're going to call it a night, like very simple. And then right. he goes out and like, she's OD'd on the floor. It's so funny right. that he can achieve that. Uh, I, yeah, he's a weirdo, but I mean, Quentin Tarantino, man, like he can, it, this did win the Oscar for original screenplay, right? Yep. I think it did. It yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. I And, and you know, it's funny. It's like, I was thinking about, you know, I mean, watching this, it's like 1994. Nothing about this feels like 1994 when we think about how long ago that was. And I think yeah. about this way, I think about like Jurassic Park and these, there's these certain movies of, of eras. And certainly these are movies of, for example, of the nineties where it was like, Oh wow! Like in some ways, this movie has not aged at all, and that it just doesn't feel like a movie from you know thirty years ago. And yep. I just like you know the dialogue feels fresh. Like and and even like sure, someone could take a twenty twenty three approach and be like, yeah, there's a lot of uses of the n word and a lot of the hard R versions of the n word said yeah, by white people, sure. and like that's a yeah, it's a little uncomfortable and and. I recognize that it's a part of this world and I don't know. I just like, it is what I'm not trying to like clutch pearls. It's just like one of those things that no one is going to do that in a movie made today. And so maybe that hasn't aged as well, but just in general, you can see how this movie was 
so ahead of its time in some in that it it just I don't know it could have been made in 2004 and I, it would have felt exactly the same yeah I that's a really good thing to call out too because I think I saw one of the IMDb like user reviews it was like a classic in the making or like a classic with no real message too which I think is also interesting like is there a theme is there a moral is there it, it's just a story it's really really good storytelling and yes maybe there is an answer to that question too but like I, I almost don't need it because it's so entertaining in the meantime right and I bet you know th- this would be one of those things that I'd have to rewatch the movie a couple times to really get, but I feel like there is something about Jules feeling like there was divine intervention when the, when they weren't shot by that fourth guy in the kitchen. And that's his sign of like, okay, like take this as a sign to be done. And ultimately like that approach is probably what saves his and everyone else's life in that diner by giving um honey bunny and what's his name pumpkin the money and just you know telling them to leave the whole time vincent though does not believe in miracles he's like no no no, it's just not true not true and vincent is the one who ends up you know dying and so i feel like Mm -hmm. there was something about there was a moral like i feel like there's little morals you know i feel like what we kind of see obviously you know with marcellus and butch is that these are you know butch is trying to kill this guy and then uh or you know marcellus is trying to kill butch and then they get into this insane situation with the gimp and the two guys at the at the pawn shop i mean just what a wild turn of events to go from this chase to like he runs randomly to this pawn shop for help and it turns out it's these two fucked up brothers with a gimp in the basement who kidnapped them and are, you know, raping Marcellus. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah. what the fuck? And so the fact that Butch saves Marcellus's life, uh, and then it's like, we're good. We're cool. There's nothing between us anymore. You go. There's I think there's something there, but I feel like all of the meanings are like just they're short story meanings. You know, and it's like how yep. in a collection each sort short story has its own little moral. Yeah, it's. I mean, and I think this is what you were ultimately pointing out too. Like the Butch and Marcellus thing is almost. It's the same thing between Vincent and Mia. Like, we don't tell anyone about this. We're good now. Yeah, Let's just go. It, it, the, the secrets that you keep, and and it kind of suggests like, and this is me just reading into this, but when you think of the the world of these characters in this movie, it's like what we're also seeing is like, and the shit they've been through that they don't tell anybody about. Yeah you know, that kind of makes them who they are. And it's like, and it makes you wonder what else have they been through that they're not telling anybody about? Yeah. I mean, God, there's an infinite amount of stories and they're so fucking wild too. Like when Marcellus is crossing that intersection and, uh, you know, Butch is just in the car. I'm just like, I, I forgot all about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the exciting things about like watching this so long ago is I really forgot most of this. I remembered more of Kill Bill than, than this movie, but it's, it's great. Yeah. It's, I mean, that was, I was just so wrapped up in that. Cause I also, you know, I, in, in what I had heard or, you know, seen about this movie, I had never really heard anything about the character of um, Fabienne, who's uh, Butch's girlfriend. Um, Lucky gal. I liked her in the hotel room, but then like when she got out, like when he got that bike and she was just like asking so many questions, I'm like, shut up and get on the bike. Oh, <laughs> I know. She was annoying the hell out of me. Yeah. Um, oh, Maria de, Medi- 
Demodiros. Yeah. Uh, okay. But yeah. So the and the, of course the whole twist is that the whole thing that that spurred all this is that she forgot to grab his father's wristwatch. Oh, I know. When she was packing up their apartment to leave, and and so it's just worth mentioning that we also get basically a cameo from Christopher Walken flash flashing back to Butch's childhood telling him about the history of this watch and between himself and his father hiding this watch in their asses in a POW camp in <laughs> Vietnam yes. uh, so that he could have it now. Like it was, it was so wild. And I thought, what a really like, what an amazing like audition monologue, but it also yeah. in a strange way, it completely validated to me why Butch would run that risk to go back and get his father's watch. Yeah, because he doesn't seem like the type that would care. Like it feel like his, but and his dad also got killed too. So it's like that relationship was never really healed. You know, that's a lot of grief for like a young child too. So yeah, it's yeah. great. It was just like what a what a twist. But I love that. I just thought you know, as as Christopher Walken is going on with that story and then talking about just casually about how his you know his father's you know he had to hide that watch and so he kept that hard this hard piece of metal up his ass for five years. I, it was just and then I <laughs> kept so it sweet. my ass for two years. It's just nuts. Um, yep. But yeah, I just oh my god, I I was so happy that Butch and Fabian got away at the end. I was just like ugh. I just really wanted this to work out. I was so afraid he was going to get back to that hotel and she'd be dead. Same. Yep. I forgot what her fate ultimately was, but I'm like, get on the bike. Yeah. Don't ask the questions. Just go. Um, and I just also want to mention, um, I, I, I thought it was kind of a, a, a strange, just a, a weird character in a, in a, in a real weird world of characters, but there's that taxi driver Esmeralda Villalobos, um yeah played by angela jones and she just she felt like an almodovar character like she felt like someone in women on the verge of a nervous breakdown yes absolutely it was just like such a weird but also like i, I thought something was going to happen there i was like is she like in on this is right. she gonna kill him i couldn't remember like i just didn't know what her game was but she again just like a nice little scene yeah just a just a great little moment with the character um it did yeah. make me think because i've been wanting to watch this movie and i thought oh well it would be relevant to this podcast and we should do it at some point but um we should maybe consider doing taxi driver sometime Ooh, i don't know anything about it so that sounds exciting well jodie foster was nominated for best supporting actress so... oh that's right yeah and i yeah, believe a young jodie foster young yeah. jodie foster and i think that's the year that she i think she was beaten by beatrice straight that year it sounds about right yeah, yeah. um in any event um well i mean there is obviously so much more of this movie and we're on a bit of a um you know we're on borrowed time right now so uh much like butch's father and that that watch that's right yes but um <laughs> i just thought before we left i have to at least mention the cameos from kathy griffin and julia sweeney yes i loved that yeah julia's was like a weird one it's like you don't it's not that you don't belong here it's just like a weird it seemed like her first role in something. I don't know. It just felt out of place. But obviously, we love Julia. So yeah, and, and of course, obviously Harvey Keitel. I mean, if we were <gasps> oh god, yes, best supporting actor, you know, focused, we would be talking about Harvey Keitel the whole time because that I loved his appearance in this movie. 
yeah, as Wolf. I, yeah. I like I felt I felt relieved when he finally got there. He was so like just like, all right, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna clean up the body, you're gonna get some blankets. Yeah. So great. And it didn't like have a twist. When they were done, he met up with his girlfriend Raquel and they drove off. And that was it. Or and I was like, Wow, that was Mr. Wolf. Cool. Yeah. Um That's great. Yeah. I I loved this movie. I just I'm so glad I I would totally watch it again. It is worth mentioning after all that color of night talk. We do get the edge of Bruce Willis's uh, manhood underneath that incredibly lucky orange towel in that motel room. (laughs) Yes. So it's so close. It's such a tease. Uh, Well, if you want to see it in, you know, uh, all 64 colors of the rainbow. Okay color a night that's my homework my unofficial assignment yeah that is your unofficial assignment is to watch the sex scene from color of night and make sure it's not the uh, the cut like uh, make sure it's the uncut totally uh explicit this is what the director wants you to see version of color of night all right yeah that'll be nice oh you're gonna love it uh can't wait well folks uh we are i don't know i am definitely doing some finger dancing because we're actually getting played off at the moment (laughs) Yeah, it happens. Yeah. Um, Oh, you know, and I'm seeing that my opening line this episode should have been, I'm American, honey. Our names don't mean shit. Uh, Which is... Oh, yeah. A line that that Butch had. So there, I said it at the end while we're getting played off. It's basically the same thing. Perfect. Where can folks find more of you? They can find me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which is a Barefoot Contessa podcast. uh, Or you can follow me on Instagram at Nick Kuchanov. How about you? Well, you can find me on my other podcast, All Right Mary, where we are currently covering season five of Dragula, which has been a lot of fun so far. And then we're covering Drag Race UK season five on Patreon. And we will be starting our coverage of Canada, Drag Race Canada season four. Wow. Oh, yeah. We're doing it all. Uh, and we just put out an Only Mary's. Like, if, if this is just not enough of the dulcet tones of my voice, you can find all, so much more at All Right Mary. You can find me on Instagram at Drucker underscore. And you can get more of both of us in a best supporting capacity on Instagram at BSAPod. Or you can send us an email at thebsapod at gmail.com. And if any of you peepers peel, I'll share with you our best supporting after show on Patreon. <laughs> We're talking Cujo. Oh, we talk about Cujo this apparently week, so. somebody watched Cujo. Well, and if you want to hear us talk about Cujo, you want to hear us talk about a few treat things, the things that we've been watching, doing, eating, and so much more. All of that's on the Best Supporting After Show exclusively on Patreon, where you can also get early access to episodes just like this. And all of that is at patreon.com slash Pod. I have nothing to say except sounds like a plan. Oh, good, good. <laughs> well, it is the plan. So uh, I think it's time that you and I get a two, two, two pre-owned lease Toyota Tercelles named Ruth and Cheryl, and we get the hell out of town and Stepford and, uh, you know. Get some blueberry pancakes. Get some blueberry pancakes <laughs> and put some watches in our asses. Yes. Uh, Speaking of time, yeah, we got to go. We got to go. I'm, you know, feels like good. Uh, 2.30 in there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that, as they say, is that. 